You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. Your choice, because that's really what it is, your choice of, uh, you know, putting God first this first Sunday of 2022, I believe that's going to be a marker in your life. This is a, um, a first fruits. You know, you thought it was important to be here. More important than to be in bed recovering from firecrackers and all that other stuff. Um, that you took the time to be in God's house and set your direction uh, for the rest of the year. Um, you know, you can't really... Um, it, it, okay, maybe not the best time to tell a little joke, but it's it's good. The, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you got, remember a... Uh, a uh, comedian actress by the name of Lily Tomlin and they 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 were asking her they're interviewing her and she said you know so they, they said what did you want to be when you when you grow up she says I want to be somebody and and they're like and, and and so what do you think she said I, I think I should have been more specific okay and that really is the point that really is the point you know, if you're not specific, if you're not intentional about what you want to do with 2022, you're going to be in December of 2022 going, what happened? And so, again, just I'm, I'm glad that everybody that's in the building right now and those that are making their way down have made it uh, a priority to be in the house of God first thing in the morning. I mean, first, sorry, first thing in the year. Uh, because I think, like I said, I think you're going to be able to look back as life happens, as it will, and you'll go back and, and, and you can chart your course and, you know, look back, you know, look back in early January and make sure that you're, that you're on track for the year. Um, that said, uh, I'm not going to belabor, I mean, I'm going to get into a little bit of some announcements. Uh, RJ, if you can uh, get me that slide. So, uh, first, ladies fellowship night. Um, so our uh, church ladies are getting together and, and, and don't think this is just a bunch of ladies getting together and you know, just chatting. No, these are these are women that get things done. Amen, ladies. Wow. Okay, that was a little weak, but whatever. Um, they're getting together for Chalupa Night, and so you know, since I'm not invited to ladies' fellowship nights, um, I'm like, what do you mean Chalupa Night? And they're, I'm, I'm like, is it Chalupas that you eat or Chalupas that you play? And they're like, it's actually both. So. So in case, you know, if you, if you don't get it, they're having tostadas with loteria or chalupas with chalupa. So uh, if you're not part of the ladies' fellowship and you're a lady, uh, go ahead and join. Like I said, you'll, you'll find uh, not just uh, a group of ladies that you can uh, count on to pray with you, to agree with you, and help you get things done, but they're also leaving a mark in this world. Okay, the only other announcement I have is uh, children. Uh, who are they going with? Oh, 
Okay, well, y'all can fight over the kids. But if you're ready for, uh, for children's church, guys, you can be dismissed. Yeah. Preschoolers and older ones. You can tell I don't do announcements very often. All right. So um, while that happens, I just, uh, real quick introduction. I don't, I don't think he needs any. Um, uh, Terry has been coming down here for 20-something years, and so he is not a guest speaker. He is family. We're really, really uh, blessed to have him here today. And uh, one thing that, that just, it kept kind of playing over and over in my head as I was sitting there is that, is that I remember the first time that, that Terry did a, uh, a church service many years ago. Um, somebody came up after me, uh, came up after service to me, and, and, and they were complaining because, because um, well, you know, he just, you know, talked about this stuff like without any wiggle room, you know? And, and most people are like, well, you know, you know, this is, but, you know, you do you, and, you know, and he's just not like that, if you haven't noticed. Um, and the funny thing is, just to be really honest with you, he can't afford it. He's, he's been to places in the world, we, we had this discussion many years ago in the, uh, in the Mexico City airport. He can't afford it. If he's, if he's you know, if he's wishy-washy on his covenant, his covenant's wishy-washy with him, and he just can't afford the wiggle room. So what I would tell you is, you know, we have the benefit of Terry being there first. Because if you were listening Friday, that's where we're headed. We're headed to a place where there won't be any wiggle room in your confession, in your belief, in your actions. You know, it's getting to the part where, hey, you know, we know the Bible tells us you know, that the wheat and the weeds grew up together. But it's not going to stay that way. You know, uh, the light and the dark was happening at the same time, but then at a certain point, you know, there's light over here and there's gross darkness over there. And so, you know, again, I'm glad that you, you, you took time to, to make this your intention for 2022, but run those antennas all the way up. Because we're going to need that kind of uncompromising um, attachment to what God said and his word because we, we won't be able to afford it either. You know, it's, it, there's been a time where, where there's lots of grace in the world and there still is going to be grace. But there, this general grace where God, you know, just kind of makes things all right, that's ending. And you're going to have to be on or off. So choose you this day. And that said, I know you're going to get uh, some really good instructions. Uh, if something hurts, don't run away. He'll sew you back up, I promise. He's a nice guy, but he's just not willing. He's not willing to let you be a casualty in the ongoing war. So that said, um, uh, help me uh, welcome a uh, friend and uh, family member, uh, Dr. Terry Mize, to the, to the pulpit. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Amen. Well, good morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Looks like I've got a letter. It says, Terry Mize. Hmm. I'll have to read that. Praise the Lord. Well, Happy New Year. Amen. 
I'm excited about what God's doing. I don't know about you. Could you stand back up, please? And uh, could we just, uh, guys, would you turn all the house lights on, please? Whoever's in charge of the light switch, no, not off, on. Let there be light. Can you turn them all on? That, that's all you got. All right. We need to take up an offering to fix them, or what do we need to do? You know, every, everywhere in the Bible, it talks about God, it talks about light. God's always light. Jesus said, you're light. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Everywhere in the Bible, it talks about the devil, it talks about darkness. And I know it's gotten real popular for churches to turn the lights out. I don't know who thought that up unless the devil did, but, but it's very common in churches to do that today, and it always bothers me. Uh, I went into a church a year and a half ago and took uh, Renee and I went into a church and in, here in Texas, and uh, we, we took Renee's 93-year-old mother with us. And uh, the, the ushers set, set Renee and I right here on these two seats, and they set her mother right here on this seat. And I could not see her. You could not see your hand in front of your face. And I thought, how dangerous this is. If I was a child molester, I'd just come in here and pick up some kids and take them off. Nobody would know the difference. If a kid got lost in their mom, they couldn't find them. You know, if somebody, an elderly person went to the restroom, they couldn't find their way back or might fall and nobody would know it. So, uh, you know, I know why it's dark in the nightclubs. And I know why it's dark in the bar. Because that woman you're with isn't your wife. I get that. But in church, let's, let's have some light. Amen. Thank God for the light. Everything in the Bible about God is light, 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 light. Amen. Let's uh, lift our hands and worship the Lord for just a moment. It's a good spirit in here, sweet spirit. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Father, we present ourselves to you for this year of 2022. This year, this year, this year, we dedicate ourselves, consecrate ourselves, present ourselves to you. You're our God, and we're your people. We worship you. We commit to you. We sell out to you. We don't serve God and mammon. We don't serve God and the devil. We don't serve two masters. We serve you. You are our God. And we present this year and present our bodies, as your word tells us to, as a living sacrifice to you. We're about the master's business. And, Father, this year we will be about the master's business. This isn't about us and our business. This isn't about us and what we want to do. This is about you and your business. We're doing, we're doing kingdom business. Father, your word says that talks about those that go down to the sea in ships to do business for the Lord. Well, that's what we're about. We're here to do business for you. Father, we're here about your kingdom. We're here about your reign. We're here about your gospel. We're here about your son who shed his blood for sinners. Jesus never, ever died for a Christian. He only died for sinners. And now that we've accepted that blood, we're born again. We're Christians, Christ-like ones, imitators of King Jesus. 
but yet there are millions and millions that don't know Jesus, and they're on the, if they died today, they would go to hell. And therefore, the blood that you shed was worthless to them. It meant nothing to them. They didn't take advantage of it. They didn't use it. They didn't apply it. Many of them didn't even know about it. And it's our job to see to it that the blood of Jesus is not wasted, that the blood of Jesus is vindicated, that the blood of Jesus does the job Jesus paid it to do to get the gospel to the world. Use this church, this great church with a great pastor, with a great congregation, with a great God, with a great vision to get the gospel to the world. Use this church as the lighthouse that you've called it to be to shine the glorious light of the gospel to the nations, to shine the light where the light's dim, to name the name of Jesus where it's not been named. And, Father, when we stand here a year from now, in 2023, may we look back at 2022 and say it was a good year. It was a profitable year. It was a productive year. It was a year that the kingdom of God prospered and was blessed and did business, and people were saved, were born again, were filled with the Holy Ghost, were healed, were delivered, were set free, lives were changed, children were saved, the lost have come home, the prodigals come home. In Jesus' name, Father, we, we expect, we expect a good report for this year. And we thank you for it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Just hold your hands up and say, Father, I present myself to you. I dedicate myself and all that I'm about to you for this year of 2022. You're my God. I'm your child. It's about you. And we'll be about your business. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. You mean that? You believe that? Praise the Lord. Well, wonderful, wonderful. I'm delighted to be here. Go ahead and be seated. It's always an honor to be here. As, as H said, I've been coming here for a long, long time. And uh, Kelvin and I have talked about it several times, and we just both think it's a good thing to keep doing it. And uh, so uh, we can't even remember what year we started, but I know it was, uh, I know it was back before the turn of the century. <laughs> I know it was before 20. Uh, before the year 2000, so uh, it's back, you know, however long that's been. And uh, But it's always a lot coming home. It's always a delight to be here. Pastor's gone today on, out of town on some family commitments, and so uh, we're, we're glad to, to be able to stand here and minister to you and uh, present the first Sunday of the year to the Lord. Amen. Praise God. I tell you, we, I have a tape series. I don't have it with me, but I have a, a, a CD series called Setting your course, setting your course. I preached that message in Joseph Prince's church in Singapore many years ago, and it's just such a dynamic message from the Holy Ghost, word from the Holy Ghost, because everything we do sets a course for our lives. And just like H said, just being here this morning sets a course for this year. Amen? Where, where you go to church sets your course. It makes a difference where you go to church. 
I've said for so many years, if there wasn't a devil, it wouldn't matter where you went to church. Amen? You could just go to the big church, the fun church, the church that has all the programs and all the stuff and, and plays all the games and does that. That'd be great. But there is a devil. And uh, we need a church that will preach us the word of God and a church where the pastor knows how to fight hell for you and, and will fight hell for you. Amen? And where you, where you go to church sets your course. Who you marry, as some of y'all have discovered, sets a course for your life. Amen? It absolutely establishes and sets a course by the person you marry. You marry them, you marry their family, and you get involved in all kinds of stuff you wasn't planning on. Isn't that right? Everything you do sets a course. The words we speak set a course. The actions we take set a course. Amen. You know, for, for over 20-something years, I took teenagers from different churches around America, partner churches and friends of mine. Uh, I took teenagers, their teens, uh, youth groups to Jamaica uh, and taught them. I trained them how to win souls. I'm a soul winner, and I can make you one. I can teach you how. And uh, I, I, told, I tell the teens all those years, I say, I don't expect you to be a born soul winner. Uh, nobody's a born soul winner, but you can, be, you can be made a soul winner. I can make you one. And if you're willing to be made, I can make, I can make you. And so, I mean, those kids over all those, you know, two, over two decades we did that, uh, those kids won thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people to the Lord uh, there, uh, there in Jamaica. And, and I always taught those teenagers, I said, now listen, kids, when, when, you, when you get home, I want you to draw some lines. I want you to do it in prayer. I want you to do it when you're home. Not when you're out with the crowd, not when you're with your boyfriend or girlfriend. I, I want you to do it when you're sane. I want you to do it when the hormones aren't running wild. I want you to get before God in your room in prayer and draw some lines and, and make a decision. I will not cross this line. And draw some lines. If I don't go to these places, I don't stay out past this time, I don't go with these kind of people, and just draw some lines that you don't ever... You say, I'll never, never cross. Then once that line is drawn and, the, and your mind is made up when you're sane, then you don't have to try to make that decision when you're out with the crowd and the hormones are running wild and your friends are saying, let's go over here, let's drink this, or let's shoot this, or let's snort that, or let's go here, or let's do that, or let's get with these people. You don't even have to think about that. You just say, oh, no, I don't do that. You don't have to stop under the pressures like, should I go, should I not go? Uh, my parents may not want me to go. I mean, should I, what, you know, my, I didn't be embarrassed in front of my friend. No, 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 you've already made that decision. You've already drawn that line. Oh, no, I don't do that. I don't drink that. I don't smoke that. I don't shoot that. I don't snort that. I don't go there. I don't, I don't. The, line, the line's been drawn. And you cannot imagine over all these decades how many of those kids have grown up. Now, some of them are parents. Some of them are grandparents. Some of them are business people. Some of them are in the ministry. And they've contacted me over all these years and said, said, Brother Terry, you cannot imagine how that affected my life and the things it saved me from because I drew a line and swore I'd never, ever cross it. And so that's what I'm talking about, about setting your course. You set a course for your life and determine some things in your life. And so as we set a course this morning for 2022, this is how this year is going to go and these are the things I'm going to do this year. These are the things I am not going. I'm not talking about New Year's resolutions. I'm talking about drawing some lines and setting a course. Amen, Brother Terry. That's really good. I, I know. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It's critical. Here we are at the first of the year. 
You know, man, I was up praying this morning and reading my Bible and said, Father, the first Sunday of 2022, what a, what a deal, what a deal that we've got, uh, we've got this year to live for you. We've got this year to present ourselves to God and to get work done for the kingdom. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I tell you all the time, I've told you for years and years and years, that every year in January, God hands us a checkbook. And it's got 12 checks in it, labeled January to December. And uh, we spend those every month. At the end of this month, the end of January, January 31st, that, that checkbook, that check's gone. It's, it's done. It's in history, and you can never get it back. Every time a day passes on the calendar, it's gone forever. Today's, today's what, January the, January the 2nd? We, we can never, ever, after midnight tonight, we can never, ever, ever, ever go back and get January the 2nd, 2022 again. It's done. It's in the annals of time. It's in history. It's written down. And it's over. Amen? And then we have a check for February, a check for March, a check for April, May. And, and at the end of the year, next year, we look back on 2022 and say, how did we spend 2022? Just like this year, I hope you've been, re- these last couple of days, I hope you've been reflecting on 2021. You say, how did I spend last year? How did I spend last year? Last year was a weird year. I mean, we started the year in abundance. We started, we started 2021 with no unemployment. I mean, unemployment was the lowest it ever been in history. Among, among blacks, among Hispanics, among women, among everybody. I mean, unemployment was almost unheard of. And all of a sudden, we've gone to where nobody's working. We started the year with being America being oil independent. We didn't have to get oil from anybody. We got more oil than anybody, and uh, we didn't have to answer to, to the Arabs, to OPEC, to, to Venezuela, to, to Nigeria, to any of these oil-rich countries. We didn't have to answer to any of them because we got more oil than them and always have had, <clears throat> and we were oil independent. Gas was under 2 bucks a gallon. Isn't that right? But things change. Things change. And so when, when did we realize things were changing? You know, when Renee and I were in Miami, Florida, preaching, when, uh, when this COVID thing hit, and uh, all of a sudden the, the, the pastor there where I was preaching in Miami had put us in a nice, lovely hotel on the beach, on Miami Beach, and I got up and opened through the drapes open uh, that morning, and I looked at Miami Beach, and there, there's nobody there. And I looked out in the water, and there's nobody there. And I called Renee. I said, come look at this. I said, I've been here for decades. I've never seen this beach deserted, never seen the water deserted. And I mean, all of a sudden, everything's locked down. That goofy mayor of Miami actually shut the boat ramps down. You couldn't put your boat in the water. And I said to Renee, I said, how much more socially distanced could I get if I was in a boat fishing miles from anybody that's about as socially distanced as you can get, and that knothead had shut the boat ramps down. It, and all of a sudden, I knew it's a different world. It's a different world. And so we sat there and prayed that day in Miami in that hotel, and we said, Father, we see what's coming. We see what's about to happen. It's about to get weird. It's about to get tough economically, financially, it's about to get really, really, really bad. So we make a commitment to you that we know, how to, we know how to live in a world like that. We know how to deal with poverty. We know how to deal with trials. We know how to deal with tests. We know how to deal with persecution. We know how to deal with the devil's attack. 
So we're going to double up on our giving. That's what we said. We, we, Terry and Renee, we're going to double up on our giving. We're going to give more and give more and give more, and we're going to look for some places to give. And, uh, and, I, and I said to her, I said, didn't we hear somebody tell us about an orphanage the other day in Mexico that, that we, we had uh, met the people, and they told us they had an orphanage? And she said, she said yeah. And I said, I said, find them and send them some money. And so she found them, found out where they were and who they were, and contacted them, said, give me an address. We're sending you some money. We sent them $2,000. And, uh, and they, they contacted us back. And they said, that was our budget for the whole month. You saved us. Our, our, our support had just dropped. <clears throat> and we just started giving and giving and giving. So we set a course. Isn't that right? Now, you can set a course. When you see hard times coming, you can get real tight and hold on and hang on and hope you make it. Or you can get proactive and say, I know how to deal with this. I know how to deal with this. I'm going to kick up my giving. I'm going to kick up my confession. I'm going to kick up my praying. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be proactive and set a course here. And by the end of the year, we'd had our best year ever. And uh, every year we have, a, we have a, an orphans program. I don't know how many of you all know about that. This church helps us in it. We've helped you guys with your orphanage stuff in, in Mexico and around everywhere. And this is the report from last year. Uh, and here's the map. You can see the map on here. Last year, we were able to bless 22 different nations all over the world. Uh, we, we gave money to over, to over uh, to, uh, 38 orphanages and several feeding programs. And, and none of them did we give less than $2,000 a piece to. So you can figure that's a lot of money. And we bought two vans. We bought a van for a missionary in, in, uh, in India that has special needs kids and, and trying to get those kids to the doctor for their, their doctor's appointment. We bought a van for them. We bought another van for uh, uh, a girl's home in the jungles of Burma or, or Myanmar, they call it now. Uh, we, we put roofs on three widows' homes in different countries. We, we dug five water wells and gave fresh water and clean water, uh, to, to, which is life, uh, to, to, some, to villages around the world. And we, we just doubled up and started helping people. We've always helped people. We just said, let's just double up. Let's just believe God for every dime we can get to put in projects like this. And so we had our absolute best year ever. And this is the report from last year. And then this year, we just finished our Christmas Orphans Project. And so this year, we'll, we'll have a report to give you here in a month or so. Once we get all the, all the pictures back in and all, all the projects counted, we'll be able to give you a good report for this year. But uh, it'll, surpass, it'll surpass last year. Amen? Because we have to be proactive. Amen? And we have to set a course. And we have to decide what is it we're going to do in 2022. What, what, what am I going to do for God? Am I just going to be, you know, just hide in the bushes and hope it gets better? Or am I going to actually be proactive in my, in my life and in my, my walk with God and my, and, and my results? As H said when he started off, your choice, you choose. God said, I said before you this day, blessing and cursing, life and death. Now, choose life. I think it's great that God says, choose life. I said before you today, life and, life and blessings. I said over here, death and curses. Choose one. Here's a tip. Choose life. But it's up to us to make that choice. And when we do, then we, we, we make some, some choices on our, on our prayer, on our confession. We make some choice on how we use our faith. We make some choice on how we live, things we do, things we don't do, things that are important, things that are not as important as we thought we were. Amen. 
But I tell you, we dedicate ourselves today. We dedicate ourselves. Commit yourself. Consecrate yourself to this year like never before. And I believe this time next year, you'll say, oh, man, that's the best year I ever had. Now, the world may fall apart. But, you know, just because you, the world falls apart doesn't mean you have to. I've got a tape series called How to Live Stable in Unstable Times. If there's ever a time for it, this is it. You can live stable in unstable times. When everybody else is losing their head, you don't have to. You can keep your head when everybody else is losing theirs. You raise stable teenagers in unstable times and all the other teenagers are falling apart. You can have stable finances when, when everybody else is falling apart. We've got scripture for that in the Old Testament and New where God supplied uh, in, in famine and in drought and in, in terrible tests and trials and situations, and those people of faith just kept on sailing. Amen. Many, many years ago, in fact, 54 years ago, I was listening to a Mexican preacher from, from Tuxtla Gutierrez down far south Mexico as you can go. And uh, his, name was, uh, his name was Pastor Castellazo. Uh, uh, and, uh, and I was 18 years old listening to him preach. And he said this. He said, you know, faith is like painting a two-story building. And you're just painting on the ladder. And the ladder falls out from under you. And you just keep on painting. Amen. He said, faith is like a high diving board. And you're on the high diving board above the swimming pool. And uh, you go and jump uh, off the board to the pool knowing full well there's no water in the pool. But expecting it to be there by the time you get there. Amen. Faith is always proactive. Faith is always an action. A lady came to Brother Costalasso one time, and she uh, and took Gutierrez way down the jungle. I mean, it's in the jungle. And uh, uh, she came running to her pastor and said, Pastor, Pastor, uh, the rebels have attacked my farm and, and, and robbed my farm and, 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 and killed my animals. And uh, Come help, come help, come help. So he ran over there, and they got there, and everything was just a mess where they had just torn up everything and done all kind of stuff. And he said, what, what do you want me to do for you? She said, I want you to heal my prize pig. And he said, what? She said, my prize pig, they took a machete and sliced his belly open. He's laying out over here with his guts hanging out all over the ground. I want you to heal him. I need that pig. So he went over there and said, go get me a bed sheet. And she went and got him a bed sheet. And uh, he said, Lord, I'm her pastor. I'm supposed to fix this. And so he got down there and took his hands and shoved the guts all back in the pig, wrapped that bed sheet around it and prayed for it in the name of Jesus, and God healed it. Amen. But see, we're, we're, we're supposed to be people of faith. Everybody say faith. See, this up here says what? Faith way. Faith way. There's a way of faith. I'd hate for us to have to change that, wouldn't you? I'd hate for God to send an angel down here and say, See, you folks aren't doing this. We're going to scratch the faith part off there. We'll call it doubt way, or fear way, or unbelief way, or just normal human being way. No, no, we're people of faith, and we operate in the supernatural. The supernatural. Amen. Well, are you all happy about being here? Praise the Lord. There's products back there at the back, and uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's some T-shirts back there that says uh, something I've had you say for over 20 years. So say it with me now. Say, I know God is good. Say it like you mean it. I know God is good. 
Yo sé que Dios es bueno. And I know that His word is truth. Y yo sé que su palabra es la verdad. Amen. And as there's teachers back there that say that, I've said that all over the world and said it for, oh, ever since I was a kid when God spoke to me and said, say it. The reason I have you say it is God, God told me to say it, and I figure if it's good for me, it's good for you. Amen. But those are back there. There's a, there's a brand new tape series. I preached for Brother Copeland in his church at Eagle Mountain here uh, in October, and so we had a brand new tape series just for them, and it's called Legacy Series Volume 1, which indicates there's going to be a volume 2 and 3 and who knows. But Volume 1 has got four sermons in it or four lifestyles in it. I've always said I, I have lifestyles. I don't have sermons uh, that God gave me at different times around the world over 53 years that God gave me that, that changed history or, or made history or changed the nation or set things in motion. And so there's four messages in there that, that God gave to me, taught me about faith. I didn't get it from any other preacher or anybody else. Nothing wrong if you did. I, I used to preach other preachers' sermons when I started, but I realized after while i had to have my own and so uh but those will bless you and help you and minister to you and be a be a great and tremendous help to you and then there's a there's an album back there i've never carried music before but there's an album back there that somebody on my staff uh who's been in music ministry for many years and sold lots of albums and stuff he just produced a christmas album for our for our orphan project for the uh for the jackie mines international children's foundation jmicf and uh, so it's back there. This is the first place I've even taken it to. It's brand spanking new. And so uh, if you get that, it'll, you'll, you'll enjoy it and bless you. And there's other stuff back there that will help you. They'll bless you. It will minister to you. And uh, we've got a series back there called Faith Anchor. And uh, my, my, not enough I can say about that. You ready to get into the Word? Well, Father, thank you for the Word this morning. I believe you to bless it. I believe you to minister to us. I believe you to, Father, as I've already talked to you about this morning, that I will not speak of myself or in the flesh, but the Holy Spirit, the greater one that indwells me, rise up big within me now and think through my thoughts and speak through my lips and minister words that will get on the inside of us and create faith, for faith comes by hearing the Word. As we hear the Word, as we hear the Word, give place to the Word, entertain the Word, accept the Word, then faith will rise. And, Father, faith will rise in this house today. Faith will rise here today. Faith will rise here today. And, Father, as our faith rises, you're able to touch us at the point of our faith and do miracles. Those watching online, Father, wherever they are, if they're in a hospital room or a hotel room or in their own living room, wherever they may be listening to this, I pray that faith rises in their heart. The Word of God produces faith and will minister to them just like it will minister to us here in the house. And I thank you for it. Thank you for healing. Thank you for miracles. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you for blessing. Thank you for increase. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, as we set a course this day for this year in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Now, we have a, we have a, a program, a, a television program. It's on YouTube and several other platforms, Crackle and Rumble and things. I don't even remember what it's on, uh, uh, that... Uh, uh, is available to you. A new one comes out every Thursday. And uh, then there's, there's hundreds of them in the archives. You can turn them on, turn them off, tell me to preach, tell me to shut up, tell me to preach, tell me to shut up. And uh, so whenever you, uh, uh, if you'll go there, as a favor to me, if you would go to YouTube and then type in Terry Mize Ministries, if you don't know how to do that, get a grandchild to help you. But if you'll go to YouTube and type in Terry Mize Ministries, there's a button there that says subscribe. 
hit that button. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free for nothing. But it makes, it makes YouTube think we're important. Now, I know we're important, but it, helps, it makes them think we're important. So the more subscribers we get, the better, the better they like it. And then right beside the subscribe button, there's a little picture of a bell, an icon of a bell. And if you hit that, they get all excited for some reason. So, so if you'll just subscribe to our, our uh, program and hit the icon of the bell, then it will, it will be a favor to me, and it will help us, and it won't cost you anything. And, and that's there every Thursday for you to go get a fresh word. We talk about miracles. We talk about the word. Sometimes we talk about politics. We, just, we talk about uh, missions. We talk about all the things that, uh, uh, that's going on everywhere. And so it'll be a blessing to you, and you will, uh, you'll enjoy it. You'll like it. Well, let's get on in the word this morning. Um, Where do I want to start? Let me give you a couple of scriptures uh, we're going to go to. Let's go to Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to go from there to Isaiah 57, from there to Jeremiah 112, and from there to 2 Chronicles 16. I think I can get all that in here in the <clears throat> pretty quick. Matthew 14, 22, it says, In straightway, Jesus constrained the disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And what's happening here is John the Baptist has died, has his head cut off. John was, John was Jesus' cousin. Jesus is sad about that. And, uh, and so whenever that happens, he goes away uh, to, the, to the seashore uh, to be by himself. But here comes all this multitude following him out there. So he ended up preaching to them, ministering to them. And he's tired, and he's, you know, having to deal with all the the other stuff he's dealing with. And finally, as it gets toward day, and he's been preaching to these people for all this time, finally he just turns to, the, to his staff, to the disciples, and he says, hey, guys, y'all go on. Uh, go ahead and get in the boat and go to the other side, and uh, I'm going to send the people away. And then after I send them away, I'm going to stay here and go up here in the mountain a little bit and pray, and then I'll join you after a while. So that's what's happening here, all right? So straightway Jesus constrained the disciples to get into a ship and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up to a mountain apart to pray. How many of you know if Jesus had to pray, we do too. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So when Jesus gets through praying, then he turns around and says, well, let's see, where's the boys at? Well, they're out there in the middle of the sea. I'll just walk out there on the water and get in the boat with them. That was his whole intention was just to walk out in the water, catch up to them, get in the boat with them, and finish the trip over to the other side with them. That's not what happened, but that was his plan. That was his, that was his intention. And so uh, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. In other words, they were scared saying, it's a spirit, it's a ghost. And they cried out for what? Fear. They cried out for fear. These are the great disciples. These are the great faith men of the Bible. This is Peter, James, John. This is this, this, Jesus. This, this, this is the best he's got. And they're scared. Just, of course, they weren't full of the Holy Ghost yet. They got better after, after the book of Acts. They got the Holy Ghost. They got better. But they, they, were, they, they didn't do too good before then. And so they cried out for fear, thinking he was a ghost. But straightway Jesus spoke to them, saying, 
be of good cheer. Cheer up, guys. It's me. Be not afraid. Everybody say, fear and faith cannot live in the same house. Say it, say it like you mean it. Fear and faith cannot live in the same house. That's going to be one of our next T-shirts. Fear and faith cannot live in the same house. They can't do it. It's impossible. And every time an angel showed up in the Old Testament or New Testament, and then when Jesus showed up, first thing they said was, don't be afraid. Fear not. Because, as I said to you Friday night, fear is a demon force from hell that motivates hell and moves hell when you operate in fear. And faith is a force from heaven that operates heaven and moves heaven and motivates heaven when you operate in faith. And they can't work together. Faith is the great enemy of fear, and fear is the great enemy of faith. You cannot operate in fear and in faith. And so Jesus said to them, like he did every time, don't be afraid. Fear not. Hey, guys, it's me. These spiritual giants thought he was a ghost. He said, no, guys, cheer up. It's me. Don't be afraid. And then his intention after that was just to walk over there and get in the boat. But... Peter spoke up. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, he just said it's me. He just said, guys, cheer up, it's me. And Peter said, Lord, if that's you, if that's really you, Bid me to come unto thee on the water. Wow. And Jesus said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. He didn't sink. He just began to sink. And Jesus caught him. And said to, and then immediately rebuked him and chastised him for his fear and his doubt. He saved him, he caught him by his hand, and he said, O thou of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, because now Jesus and Peter walked on the ship. Now Peter walked back to the ship. Jesus didn't carry him, you know, piggyback. They walked back to the, to the ship together, got in the boat with everybody. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind stopped. And then they were that in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now, I've had people say to me for decades, Brother Terry, why, why did Jesus force Peter to walk out there on the water when he knew he was going to sink? And I've always said, Jesus didn't have anything to do with it. That was Peter's idea. Peter's choice forced Jesus to do something he didn't intend to do. Jesus had no intention of having Peter come out there. Jesus' intention was to go get in the boat and ride over the rest of the way, George, with him to the other side. That's all he was going to do. But when they thought he was a ghost and got scared, then he had to deal with that and say, Hey, guys, no, cheer up. It's me. Don't be afraid. And so Peter stands up, well, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Jesus stands there and says, if it's me, 
bid him come. I just told him it's me. Now I have to bid him come because if I don't bid him come, he'll think it's not me. But if it, but it is me. So since it is me, then I'm going to have to bid him come. All right, Peter, come. Right? And Peter got out of the boat and walked supernatural miracle of God, wonderful, marvelous miracle of God. People forget he walked on the water. They just remember he began to sink. In fact, most Christians think he sank and drowned, but that's not, you know. And then Jesus caught him. They walked back to the, to the boat together. Now, why did Peter sink? Jesus said he doubted. He was in fear. He was afraid, and he doubted. And Jesus said, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith. See, people in the church for many, many, many decades or centuries have painted Jesus as, as this little mealy-mouthed, sissy-fied, meek, mild-mannered, just always nice. Oh, Peter, I just love you. God bless your heart. No, no, he said, what'd you doubt for? Oh, you of little faith. Didn't he? Told his disciples one time, he said, how is it possible you've been with me all this time and you have no faith? How is that even possible? Amen? Now, why did Peter doubt? Why did he sink? Because as he was walking on the water, the Bible tells us the answer. It says that he saw the wind was blowing. It says when he saw the wind was boisterous, he began to sink. See, the devil was sitting on his shoulder as he was walking this mighty miracle, supernatural miracle, impossible thing to do, walking on the water, and he's walking, and there's Jesus, and it's great, and it's wonderful, and the sky's blue, and the grass is green, and the birds are singing, and everything's wonderful. There's Jesus. I'm going to Jesus. It's great. And all of a sudden, the devil says, Psst, Peter, the wind's blowing. What? The wind's blowing. Peter, Psst, the wind's blowing. You can't walk on the water. The wind's blowing. And it says he looked around and saw the wind was blowing, and begin to sink. Now, you can't walk on the water if the wind's not blowing. That has nothing to do with anything. The devil just told him something that was totally irrelevant, made no difference, made no sense, had no purpose except fear. Isn't that right? Psst, Peter, the wind's blowing. Oh, oh my God, the wind's blowing. Well, you go out here on a calm day to a lake, a river, an ocean, a swimming pool. And it's just flat, calm, try to walk on it. No wind, try to walk on it. Can't do it. Has nothing to do with anything. It's just what the devil does. He tells you something to get your eyes off of Jesus. He tells you something to get your mind off of the Word of God. Here you're in a faith feat, believing God for health or believing for healing or believing for your kids or believing for your marriage, believing for some money, believing for this, believing for that, believing for something else, and you got your faith on it and you found these scriptures and you're, you're confessing the scriptures and praying the scriptures, and the devil goes, Psst, hey, that can't happen. The economy's bad. We got the COVID. Well, so what? What difference does that make? It's just to get your mind off of God. 
to get you off the Word of God, to get you off the Scriptures, to get you off the thing God told you to do, to get your faith not working, to throw some fear into the equation, and fear and faith can't live in the same house. So fear comes, faith goes. But faith comes, fear goes. Are are you all with me? Let me read you a couple more scriptures. Isaiah 57, 19, God says, I create the fruit of the lips. What a powerful statement. I create the fruit of the lips. Now, just think God's talking to you all by yourself. Just just tune everybody else out, and God is saying to you, listen to me, I create what you say. The fruit of your lips, the thing that comes out your mouth, I create it. Well, that would make us think different, wouldn't we? God says, I create the fruit of the lips. Jeremiah 1.12 says, I hasten my word, or I watch over my word to perform it. I hasten my word. I watch over my word to perform it. Heaven is always, always, always watching. They're watching right now. They were watching 10 minutes ago. They were watching last night at midnight. They're they're always, always watching the whole world just in case some man or some woman or some boy or some girl somewhere utters something in faith or speaks the word. Now that other garbage comes out your mouth all the time. Heaven doesn't do anything about that. They just... I've, I've always said this. I, I, I've always said angels are underworked and overpaid. They don't have anything to do because the church doesn't know how to get them to do anything. The church doesn't know how to motivate their angels or how to get their angels moving. And so the church just talks all kind of goofy stuff, you know, and the angels just ignore it. But when you say something from the Word, when you start declaring the Word, you start declaring your faith, all of a sudden heaven says, oh, wait, they're talking the Word. They're talking the word. We're going to have to do something here. Because God said, I, I always watch my word. I hasten my word. I watch over my word to perform it. So I don't care who you are, where you are in the world. When you start speaking the word, heaven, heaven, the angels stand up and say, we, we, we may have to start doing something here. Right? Because God said, I create the fruit of the lips. I watch over my word to perform it. You remember a few years ago, and I don't don't get hung up. I'm not going to say something political here. I'm going to say something factual and historic. So don't get all bent out of shape and upset. But you remember a couple a few years ago when Mr. Obama was president, he he got on this real kick telling us, "Don't say Merry Christmas." He said, "Don't say Christmas tree. You have to say holiday tree. You can't say Merry Christmas. You have to say Happy Holidays. Let's get rid of Christmas. Let's get the Christ out." And he told us not to pray. In fact, here's what he told us to do. Mr. Obama said, what you need to do is have a moment of silence. That was his big campaign. In fact, you may remember that during Christmas, Target and some of these other idiot corporations hooked up with Mr. Obama, and they even got rid of the Santa Claus and the the Salvation Army red kettle uh, that wouldn't even let them at, at Targets because they didn't want anybody saying Merry Christmas. And America was going a bad way. And... uh he said, just have a moment of silence. Well, 
That's exactly what I would have said if I were the devil. If I were the devil, I would have said, how can I shut these Christians down? I know I'll tell them not to speak because God creates the fruit of the lips, didn't you? Because God's watching his word to perform it. Now, I'm not preaching politics or Republican Democrat. I'm just talking, this is what the man said, right? There are historical things that people say. And when you say it, you're not talking politics. It's like when Hillary Clinton was saying, when I get to be elected president, the church is going to have to change her doctrine. And I said, what? You arrogant idiot. The church is going to change for you? The church that's been here for 2,000 years, the church that's weathered the Egyptians and the Persians and the Medes and the Greeks and the Romans and Hitler and <laughs> the church is going to count to you, to a measly president? You're out of your mind. So that's not politics. That's history that we're... We're having to deal with when some of these folks get up and get in the White House, they, they do some bad stuff. And when they tell us they're going to do it, then it's our job as a voter to vote. I've had people say to me so many times over the years, they get mad at me at election time because I'll, I'll, I'll say something about the different elections and what people are standing for. And people say, Brother Terry, you're not supposed to judge. How dare you judge the president? You shouldn't judge the president. I say, you've got to be kidding me. I said, you do err, my brother, not knowing the Scripture. I said, this is America. This isn't England where there's a king and a queen. This is another countries I go to where there are kings and queens. They're monarchs. That's what the Bible is talking about. They're monarchs. You don't vote them in. You have nothing to do with them. It's just they just pass on down to their family. Right? But in America, we actually vote. And so as a voter... Your job is to judge politicians and then vote. And if they do what you tell them to, you vote for them again. If they don't, you kick them out. They're just the hired help. The president's just a hired help. Not a king. Not a monarch. Not God. He's just a politician that you hired. And if they do what you tell them to, then you vote them in again. If they don't, you say, you're out, I'm voting for somebody else. But your job as a voter, as an American, is to judge them and vote. Amen, Terry, that's really good. You understand what I'm saying to you? So anyway, Mr. Obama said, have moments of silence. Now, I think it's fine if you have a moment of silence out of respect, like if you're at a funeral and they, they bring the casket in, uh, and you, you stand there like this and you just you don't say anything. You're, you're just giving honor to... And you're not supposed to say anything. But if you're going to get heaven to move, you wouldn't have to say something. What, 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 if, what if we were all at a football stadium? Let's say there's 100,000 of us Christians, and we're all in a football stadium. And what if there was an active shooter all of a sudden down at a school or at a mall? And what if the announcer came on and said, Hey, folks, to us 100,000, Hey, folks, there's an active shooter down here at the mall killing people. Let's all stand up and hold hands and have a moment of silence. What good would that do? Seriously, what good would it do? Would anything happen? Of course not. Let's all just hold hands and sing kumbaya and have a moment of silence. 
and nothing would happen. What a shame. What a waste. But what if he said, hey, folks, there's an active shooter down here at the mall killing people. Stand up now and let's take authority and let's agree in faith and let's use the blood of the covenant and the covenant of blood and pray in the name of Jesus and stop this now. And we all grabbed hands and started praying and binding that spirit and taking spiritual authority. I tell you, all of a sudden, heaven had moved. Heaven would move. Because God watches over his word to perform it because heaven creates the fruit of your lips. Are you with me? Try to get past that politic thing and try to get with me with what, what the Bible's saying. Because these, politi- these politicians uh, from both sides play right into the devil's hands so many times because they don't have a clue what's right and wrong. They just think it's a good idea that they had a good idea, and it wasn't a good idea. It was from hell. Hello? And you're the church. You actually know the truth. Hollywood doesn't know the truth. Washington, D.C. doesn't know the truth. But the church does. So, so angels, are, angels are, are underworked and overpaid. They just sit around heaven just chewing on a toothpick, waiting for you to say something. And if you don't say anything, they don't do anything. And the church is going to have to learn how to, how to get their angels moving and how to get heaven to move. Isn't that right? Take this instance right here when Jesus is walking out there and here's heaven. And they've been watching this whole thing all day. And John's died and Jesus has gone out and, 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 and preaching to the people. And heaven's probably saying, you know, bless Jesus' heart. He, he tried to get away because cousin John got his head cut off. And here the people followed him, so he's having to preach. And, and that's sweet of him, and that's great, and that's wonderful. You know, and then he tells the boys, y'all, y'all go on, and I'll catch you later. And it's probably one angel turned to another and said, catch him later? How's he going to do that? Said, well, who knows? He may fly. He may translate himself. I mean, who knows what he's going to do? But he's he going to catch him later. And then they're just watching that whole situation. There's the boys out in the boat, and then the waves are like this. And, you know, and there's Jesus. He's praying. All of a sudden, Jesus stands up and says, uh, where's the guys at? Oh, I'll just walk out there. And heaven says, hey, hey, look, guys, he's, he's walking on the water. He hadn't done that before. That's cool. And so they're watching Jesus walk on the water, and they're, they're, heaven's doing nothing. And they're just watching. It's cool. Hey, the, boss is, the boss is walking on water. And then all of a sudden, the disciples say, what's that? What's that? What's that? He may be a ghost. It's a ghost. And heaven kind of punched another angel and said, they're scared. The guys are scared of the boss. They think, he, they think he's a ghost. Heaven still doesn't do anything. And so... Jesus says, hey, guys, no, cheer up. It's me. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. It's me. And heaven just sitting there watching. And all of a sudden, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. All of a sudden, the angels just kind of, hey, hey, guys, hey, guys pay attention. This, something may happen here. If Peter, if Peter actually moved, Jesus just told him to come. If he actually gets up to put his foot out there, we're going to have to do something. Because a man is moving on the Word of God. If Jesus speaks the Word, and Peter moves on the Word, we're going to have to do something. Now, what do you guys want to do? Y'all want to make Peter light or the water hard? What do, you, what do y'all think we ought to do? Well, I don't know. We're going to have to do something. Well, maybe he, may, he might not do anything he hadn't before. Let's see what happens. 
What's Jesus going to say? That's kind of a quandary for Jesus because he said, if it's you, bid me come. Now, if Jesus doesn't bid him come, they'll think it's not him. So what's, Jesus, what's the boss going to do? And so Jesus sits there. All right, it is me. So come. Boy, I bet heaven stood up at that point and said, all right, guys, the word has been issued. The word has gone forth. Is the man going to move on the word? And if he does, we got to do a miracle. We usually don't have to do a miracle because they don't move. But if he moves now, we got to do something. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, come, and Peter stood up and put, took his foot up and stepped over that boat, and pow, heaven, I don't know if they made Peter light or the water hard, but heaven did a supernatural miracle. And Peter's now walking on water. And he continued to walk on water until the devil said, Peter, Peter, the wind's blowing. Peter, the wind's blowing. The wind's blowing. You can't walk on water. And he got scared, doubted, and began to sink. And heaven said, okay, we're done. We're out. And Jesus grabbed him, and they walked back to the the boat together. Amen? Let me say this to you. Heaven is waiting and watching you all day long, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to see what you will say and see what you will do so they know what they're supposed to do. Because they don't know what they're supposed to do until they know what you're going to say or do. Usually they have to do nothing because you don't say and do what you're supposed to do. But when you say and do what the Word says, they have to be alert and listening all the time to see if you're going to say something on the Word and act on the Word, then they're going to have to move, and they know that, so they are constantly monitoring. I can tell you all are excited about that. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Heaven is constantly monitoring you to see what you're going to say and what you're going to do to determine what they're going to do. Because your words and your actions dictate what they're going to do, whether they just do nothing or whether they have to do something supernatural. See, James, when James writes to us three times there, three times in one paragraph, he tells us faith without works is dead. It doesn't matter if you have all the faith in the world. You can have 150 pounds of faith. It doesn't matter how much faith you've got. If you don't put corresponding action to it, it's dead. It's worthless. It's no good. And I have people come to me all over the world and say, Oh, brother, I got faith. I got faith. I got faith. But yet they're not, they don't ever use it or don't know how to use it. Because every, every act, every faith, every miracle God does is based on the faith feat of what you've done or said that motivates heaven to back it up. Amen. What's heaven going to have to do for you today? What's heaven going to have to do for you in 2022? Is heaven just going to sit and you on their toothpick? Or are they going to be pushed into action, jump into action because you've declared the Word of God? Second Chronicles 16, 9, 
the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. God says the eyes of the Lord are running all over the earth, to and fro the, the whole earth, just looking for a man, looking for a woman, looking for a boy, looking for a girl that's going to speak the word of God so God can show himself strong for them. I've told the Lord since I was a teenager, right here, sir, if your eyes are looking all over the earth trying to find somebody uh, to show yourself strong for, help yourself right here. You just, you just follow me. If I'm in India or Africa or Mexico or wherever I'm at around the world, you, you just find me and show yourself strong, and I'm happy about that. Amen? But see, these scriptures show us how faith works, and it's so simple. That whole walking on the water thing was such a simple thing to show us how faith operates and how faith works and how we, we can't listen to the devil and turn around and just because the wind's blowing or just because some other natural thing is going on, just because it's COVID or just because it's cancer or just because the economy's bad or just because this guy's president or that guy's president or just because something else is going on gets our attention off of what God said. You're not mere men. You're not mere women. We don't live by the beggarly elements of this world. We don't have to live by the same rules that everybody else has to live by because we know how to operate supernatural rules that are higher rules, higher laws. Spiritual laws are higher than natural laws. Natural laws exist because of the spiritual laws. Farming and planting seed works all over the world. I mean, I mean... Naked natives in the jungle understand it and operate it. They, I've been with them in Panama when I was just a teenager. I was with a tribe that didn't wear clothes, and yet they would take a little bag of seed and, and take a sharp-pointed stick and go out there in the jungle. I mean, they didn't have tractors, and they didn't have straight rows and, and cultivation and all. They went in the jungle and took a sharp-pointed stick and poked a hole, dropped a seed in the hole, stepped on it with their bare foot and covered it up, Poked another hole, dropped the seed, stepped on the bear. They come to a tree or a rock. They just went around it. You know, I mean, the rows were like this. They weren't straight rows. They were just. But I tell you what, because of the laws of harvest, that stuff grew. And I mean, out there in the jungle, man, that, that's getting six and eight ears to a corn to a stalk. I I tell that part to farmers in America. They, I never heard of such a thing. Well, you know, they get fourteen feet of rain a year. They get tropical sunshine and you know there's no winter and uh, it's based on genesis 8 where god says as long as time remains this is a law a spiritual law as long as time remains there will be seed time and harvest there will be heat and cold there'll be summer and winter there'll be night and day those are four immutable laws they cannot change they're incapable of changing and because they're spiritual laws, Nancy, they're natural laws. They're such a law that the banker will loan money to a farmer on it. Because the banker knows it's a law. And a farmer comes into a banker and he says, Mr. Banker, here's how much land I've got. I've got 20 acres, 50 acres, 100 acres, 3,000 acres. I've got this land. And I, need, and I need to borrow this much money because I need to buy a tractor or either I need to buy some seed because if I, put, if I put this much seed in this much land, then I'm going to get this much harvest and I can pay you back. And the banker looks at it and he says, okay, you got this much land. You need this much seed. 
and you'll get that much harvest. You can pay me back. So the banker will loan money to a farmer based on that law of Genesis 8 and make interest off of it and get rich because of the law of God. Every, every natural law works if, because it's a spiritual law. Romans chapter 8 tells us that the, the law, everybody say law, the law of the spirit in, of life in Christ Jesus. That's a law. That's a spiritual law. That's a heavenly law. There is a law in heaven called the, the, the spirit of life of Christ Jesus. The law. It's a law. It's an absolute law. can't change. He says the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law. Say law. From the law of sin and death. There's a law in the world called the law of sin and death. I call it the original LSD. You'd have to be my age to know what that is, I guess. But uh, the law of sin and death. And the law of sin and death is always here, always around, and will kill you. It's trying to kill you all the time. It's always looking to kill you. It's a law. The law of sin and death. You can't get rid of it. You can't use your faith against it to stop it. You can use your faith to get it off of you, but you can't get rid of it. When Jesus was here on earth himself in the flesh, he couldn't get rid of it. He will get rid of it one of these days, but he couldn't get rid of it when he was on earth. It's a law. It's a law called the law of sin and death. So because this law is there, then he instituted another law called the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And so you can take that law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and apply it to that law of sin and death and override the lower law with a higher law so you can live as though the lower law doesn't exist, but don't you ever kid yourself, it does exist, and if you foul things up, it'll get you. See, I'm a pilot, and every pilot is trained about the laws of aviation. There's two positive laws, and there's two negative laws. And, 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 and those two negative laws are always there. Drag and gravity, they're always there, always there, always there. The law, the gravity is a law. You stand up on this roof, and you take a step off, the law of gravity is there. It'll bring you down. It's just a law, right? And it'll bring airplanes down. And it's always there. The law of, of gravity and the law of drag are there on every flight you take. They're there like this, wanting to kill you. You can't get rid of them. You just have to override them with a higher law. And so you take the, the other two positive laws of aviation, the laws of thrust, which is your motor, your power, and the law of lift, which gives lift to the plane. How many of y'all, when you were a kid, or maybe, you're, maybe you still do it, or your kids do it, you, you, you ride down the highway and you roll down the window? And you stick your arm out like this, and and then you kind of curve your hand a little bit like this, and the, and the wind will blow your hand up. You curve your hand down a little bit, and it'll blow it down. If you turn it flat like this, it'll blow it back. Right? Well, that's if you ever look at an airplane wing, every airplane wing is cambered or angled. No airplane wing is flat. They're all they're all lifted a little bit with a larger front edge and a and a skinnier back edge. Every plane in the world. Big jumbo jet, little bitty single engine prop jaw, all, all the same. And so that, that, that law of lift is cambered or angled just a little bit like that so that when wind hits it fast enough, it lifts your arm and it lifts the airplane, right? In fact, there's a, there's a thing in aviation called a stall, and that means your airplane can't fly anymore because you've got your wings too high, you, you've climbed too fast, you've got your nose up too much, and so instead of your 
instead of your wings just being cambered or angled a little bit to give lift, all of a sudden you've got them too much, and it's blowing back, and then that plane will go into a stall, and it'll, it'll spin into the ground and kill you, unless you know how to get out of that, and they train us pilots how to get out of that. But some pilots don't get out of it, and it kills them. So it's the same thing. You, what you're doing with aviation is you, you can't go along flying along at 15,000 feet or 25,000 feet and just flying along and all of a sudden gets feeling cocky and you say, you know what, I've defeated the law of gravity. I've defeated the law of drag. It can't get me anymore. And just reach around and turn the engine off. Well, when you do, pow, there's drag and gravity. And they're going to bring you down. Right? You don't get rid of them. You just override them with a higher law. You supersede the, those, those lower laws that are trying to kill you, you supersede them with the higher law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the law of aviation of lift and thrust, overrides the lower laws of sin and death or the lower laws of drag and gravity. Amen? It's just that simple. Everything with God are, are laws all based back on Genesis 8. When Noah and the eight people came out of the boat, came out of the ark, God said, now listen to me. Here's the new rules. As long as time remains, there will be seed time and harvest, hot and cold, day and night and winter and summer. You can't ever change that. You can't ever change that. It's a law. It's a law. You know, when my son Paul David got killed 17 years ago, and, uh, and I was home, and Colton here, it's his daddy. Colton was only five years old when Paul was killed. And... Uh, Every morning I'd go out in my backyard, every morning, for, for about three months. I'd go out in my backyard before daybreak. And I'd take my Bible and I'd take my cup of coffee and I'd sit out there. We had a pool and a nice patio. and I'd sit out there with my Bible and my cup of coffee. And my backyard faced the east, so I'm, I'm facing the sunrise. And so I'm sitting there with my coffee and my Bible and I'm praying and I'm hurting. And uh, every morning, George, every morning, the sun started creeping up. It started creeping up. And so many mornings I just looked at it and I said, how dare you? How dare you come up? Don't you know my heart is broken? Don't you know that my life is shattered? Don't you know? How dare you come up? But it did every day because it's a law. Didn't matter if I sat there with tears running down my face. Didn't matter. It's a law. That sun came up, whether I liked it or not. And it was summertime, and those birds would start to sing, and I'd say, how dare you? What is wrong with you singing? They didn't care. They just sang anyway. It's just a law of God. You see, we have to understand that, that there, the universe is run by laws. God's world is run by laws. And a lot of Christians get all goofed up because the devil has brought goofy stuff into the church where they hate law. Oh, but you, I don't like law. Well, you better like law. It keeps you alive. I used to tell the churches this. I'd say, you don't like law? How would you like to go downtown Houston and there'd be no policemen? How would you like to go downtown Chicago and no police? How would you like to go downtown Los Angeles? How would you like to go downtown Miami no no cops? And now these idiots are trying to defund the police so there's not any cops. And people are getting killed everywhere. And it's like, how stupid can people be? How stupid can people be? Because once you do away with law, then you go into the, the other law, the law of the jungle, where only the strong survive. Let's get rid of the old people. Let's get rid of the babies. 
You know, we killed 42 million babies last year around the world. We killed 42 million babies with abortion. 42 million. Now, what did God say about that? He said, I hate those that shed innocent blood. And he said, the blood cries to me from the ground. Well, if that's true, if all these millions of babies will kill every year, if their blood is crying to God from the ground, and he said it is, at some point he's going to have to answer that. It's not going to be funny when he does because it's a violation of laws. God's the lawgiver. And as a pilot, I like laws. I like knowing what keeps me alive. I like knowing how to take a higher law and override a lower law because that lower law wants to kill me. Well, as a Christian, as a human, those lower laws are out there all day long trying to kill you, that law of sin and death. And so you've got to always get that law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and override or over supersede that law of sin and death. And you can go about your business as though, as though the law of sin and death doesn't exist, but don't you ever forget it does. And if you violate this law, it'll loose this law to work. Amen, Brother Terry. Hmm. You know, y'all all heard my hitchhiker story about I was in Mexico. I picked up a hitchhiker. I was 24 years old. Uh, I was down at Zacatecas, picked up a hitchhiker. He pulled a gun on me out of his coat, cocked the hammer, stuck it in my ribs, grabbed my collar, and he screamed at me, I'm going to kill you. Take away my tie. And, uh, and I, I used the word on him constantly. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I'm a man of God. I've got authority over you and dominion over you in the name of you. You can't kill me. I'm going to kill you. I said I'm going to kill you. And I said I'm a man of God, and I've got authority over you in the name of you. You can't kill me. We got outside the car. And he walked up to me and said, give me your money. Give me that. And he walked up to me, and I stuck my finger in his face and said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. Of now, it didn't look like I was winning. It didn't look like it. He's got the gun. If I'd asked the church, if the church had been standing on the side of the road watching, and I'd say, who do you all think's winning? They'd say, the guy with the gun. Because it looked like he was winning the whole time. He's got the gun in my ribs. He's got my collar like this. Now we're outside the car, and he's got the gun up here. But see, my actions and my words are going to determine what heaven does. His intention was to kill me. He said it several times. That's what he robbed me for. That's what he's got. He thought, man, he's getting my car. Would kill me. He had just escaped from prison in Durango, had a gun, and he's going to kill me and take my stuff and go. And the buzzard just picked my bones out there in that cornfield. My wife had never known what happened to me. I mean, just just went on the trip and, and disappeared, and she never heard from me again, just gone. Had two babies, gone. Your daddy's gone. And uh, heaven was watching and waiting on my words and my actions. What's he going to do? I'm watching over the word to perform it. We, we create the fruit of your lips, Terry. We create the fruit of your lips, Terry. <laughs> Amen. And so when I said, you can't kill me, I've got authority in the name of Jesus. Heaven said, yeah, yeah. And so we... Battered that around for a while. Still a fight. And then outside the car, and he says, give me your money, and I stick my finger in his face. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That made him so mad, he hit me right between the eyes with that pistol. Popped me like that hard. I mean, man, hurt. He knocked me back over my car. And uh, and I'm laying on the hood like that, just kind of seeing stars the way he, he hit me. And uh, he just stuck the, the, the gun down on my forehead, and, and he's flinging his left hand like this, said, shut up, callate. If you say one more word, I'll kill you. 
I just push myself up off the car because God's watching my actions. Heaven's watching my actions. Faith that action is dead. You've got to have action and listen to my words because he's waiting to perform it. So I pushed myself up off the car, and I stuck my finger back in his face, passed that gun like this, and I said, I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You can't kill me. You can't hurt me in any way. And when I did, he just jumped backwards. As close as I am to Jake right here. I mean, we, we were nose to nose. He just jumped back and lowered the gun at me and shot five times at point-blank range, and the bullets didn't hit me. Heaven intervened. At that point, Heaven said, that's it. We're intervening. Because of my words. And, and what if I had just gone along with that? What if I just, oh, my God, please don't kill me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I've got a wife and I've got two babies. Oh, my God. Well, I'd be dead. Heaven's waiting on my words, my action, to dictate what they're going to do. Does that make sense? I had a bunch of teenagers, I think 64 teenagers this particular trip in Jamaica years ago. And uh, we were downtown Montego Bay just winning souls, man, just passing out tracks and winning souls. And, and I'm just standing there watching them, you know. And, and all of a sudden I heard a police car and uh, heard the sirens and didn't think anything about it. I mean, we're downtown, you hear that stuff. And, and finally this police car showed up and it's got the, the red lights flashing and the siren on and pulled up right where I was, just screeched to a halt where I was. They always screech to a halt because it's to, it's to instill what? Fear. It's always fear. And they jumped out real fast, you know, with fear. And they ran up to me and said, uh, Terry Myers, you're under arrest. Come with us. Get in the car. And I said, uh, okay, just a minute. I'm going to tell my son what to do. I've got these teenagers out here. I said, you're under arrest. You get in the car. You're not going anywhere. And I stuck my finger in his, that officer's face. I, I said, just a minute. I'm going to tell my son what to do with these 64 kids, and I'll be right back. And I just walked off, went over there and found my son, Lynn, and said, hey, buddy, I, they're, they're, say they're arresting me, and uh, I want you to gather all the kids up, get on the bus, take them back to the hotel, feed them dinner when it gets dinner time, and I'll be there by dinner time. He said, okay, Dad. I went back. and said, okay, let's go. I got in the back of the car, and they shut the door and turned on the lights and turned on the sirens, and we took off, and all those kids were going, I just waving out the back window. We got to the to the station, and they took me upstairs and down a long hallway and into this office. And there was a lady official sitting at the desk, and uh, she was mad at me. I never did figure out why she was mad at me, except it was just the devil. And uh, she was mad at me. And she said, uh, I walked in. I sat down in a chair in front of her desk, and I said, What can I do for you, ma'am? How can I help you? And she said, I'm deporting you today. I said, you're doing what? She said, I'm deporting you today. My officers are taking you to the airport and sending you out of Jamaica and back to the United States. Well, you can catch a flight to Miami. And I said, no, no ma'am, you're not. I most certainly am. I said, no, ma'am, you're not. I am deporting you. My officers are taking you to the airport right now and sending you to Miami. I said, no, ma'am, I'm not leaving. I said, I've got 64 kids here I'm responsible for. And I said, my wife's here, my grandkids here. Well, I'll have the officers stop by the hotel and pick up your wife and grandkids. I said, no, ma'am, you won't. You leave my wife alone. You leave my grandkids alone. And I said, our tickets are good until Saturday, and we're not leaving until Saturday. She said, who do you think you are? I said, who do you think you are? 
she slammed her fist, her, her open hand down on the desk, and she said, I'm the second highest official in this country. And I slammed my fist, my open hand down on her desk, and I said, and I'm a king and a priest of Almighty God, and I've got more authority than you do, and I'm not leaving. Boy, she was, she was fuming. And all of a sudden, the phone rang. And uh, she picked up the phone. I didn't hear the other person. don't know who the other person was, but I heard her side of the conversation. She said, she said, yes, 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 he's here right now in my office. Yes. Well, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, why? Well, who, who is this man? Well, why is he so special? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. I know the phone. She said, you may go. I said, thank you, ma'am. Have a nice day. God bless you. Now, now, what if I had, when she said, I'm deporting you, what if I said, yes, ma'am? What if my actions and my words had agreed with her? Yes, ma'am. Of course, ma'am. That's fine. That's what most people do. I mean, she's the authority. According to her, she's the second highest authority in the land. But see, my words and my actions were in line with the Word of God, and I knew heaven's watching to see what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do because they're going to create the fruit of my lips my actions and my words are going to dictate heaven's actions. Amen? So when Saturday came, we went to the airport, me and all those kids and chaperones. And uh, when we got there, there were three men standing out there uh, and approached me in suits. And they said, Dr. Mize? And I said, yes. And they said, uh, I'm so-and-so, and I'm so-and-so, and I'm so-and-so. And... Uh, I said, uh, well, I'm glad to meet you. What can I do for you? They said, we just came out today to see you off and to apologize to you for what happened to you the other day. I said, oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. They said, no, 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 it's not okay. We, we apologize. We're so sorry that that happened to you. And uh, we, we just came to see what, what we can do for you. And tell us, what, Dr. Myers, what would you like to happen to that officer? I said, excuse me? I said, what would you like us to do to that officer? Do you want her out in the country milking cows? What do you want us to do? We'll, we'll penalize. We'll do whatever you say. And I said, oh, no, guys. I don't, I don't want anybody to lose their job. I said, I don't want the lady to lose her job. I said, I don't know what her problem was, but, you know. Uh, I said, here's what I want. I said, here's what I do want. I said, I want this to never, never, never happen to anybody else. I said, what if I'd just been a normal youth leader from a church in America or a normal pastor from a church in America that didn't know what I was doing and didn't know how to use faith and authority? And what if she had arrested them and they said, we're deporting you. And they said, yes, ma'am, okay. And she just take them to the airport and send them to Miami and these kids are left. I said, that'd be an international incident. And they said, yes, sir, it'll never happen. We give you our word, it'll never happen again. But see, heaven was waiting on my words and my action to dictate what heaven's action was going to be. Amen. 
I've told you the story of being in Guatemala when a little, little tiny baby, 13 days old, died. Medical American medical doctor, good friend of mine, still a friend of mine today, uh, was with me. And he put his stethoscope on her and he listened to her, you know, heart and put his, put, checked her nostrils, her breathing, and checked her, pu- and said, she did. She did. And I just picked her up and started praying. And, uh, and I prayed, 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 and I prayed. And after nine hours of me praying, my doctor friend said, Terry, Terry, I didn't even hear him. I mean, you know, I'm just, I got her, I'm, cause I've, been, I've been holding her up and saying, honey, you'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. You hear me? I will not bury you. You will live. And this is just a little tribal baby, just a little girl from the tribes. But she was important to me, important to God. And the doctor said, Terry, Terry. And he grabbed my arm and jerked me and said, Terry. And I said, what? He said, Terry, I'm concerned about you. He said, you've been at this for nine hours. He said, she's dead, D-E-A-D, dead. Now put her on the table. Let's go to bed. We'll bury her in the morning. He said, at least you got her parents saved a few hours ago. Something good came out of this. But he said, he said, I did all I could as a doctor. It didn't work. You've done all you could as a missionary. It didn't work. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Now put her down. Let's go to bed. And I said, I said, Doc, you leave me alone. You leave me alone. I said, I've got a job to do, and I'm not going to bury this baby. You go to bed if you want to or whatever you want to do, but leave me alone. I'm not going to bury this baby. And so I prayed another three hours, a total of 12 hours. At the end of 12 hours, I said to the devil, Devil, you might as well give up because I'm not going to. I said, if you want to stay with this thing for another few hours or another days, all you're going to hear is the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the word of God. I'm going to stick you with the sword of the Spirit. I'm going to cut you. I'm not burying this baby. This baby will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And and that rascal got, at that moment, he he got discouraged and left. And that baby started crying. And, and God raised her from the dead and healed her of what was wrong with her. And uh, she's still alive today. She's in her 40s now. And they took her to the villages when she, when she grew up a little bit. And she sang songs for Jesus. And they told the story about raising her from the dead. And, and, and now she's grown and married and got three kids and loves God and in church. And I hear from her once in a, once in a while. And uh, what, what, if, what if I'd have quit? Why did it take 12 hours, Terry? I have no idea. And when I went into that thing, I didn't know it was going to take 12 hours. I'd raised numbers of people from the dead before, and it was just that fast, you know, or a few minutes at the most. I didn't know it was going to be 12 hours, but here we were. What if I'd have quit at 11 and a half hours? What if I'd have told the doctor, okay, I'll go to bed. You're right, she's dead. Because she was dead. <laughs> but see, my, my words and my actions dictated what heaven was going to do. Are y'all still with me? You know, y'all have heard me tell the story about my wife Jackie. She's in heaven now. But before we got married, when we was both wise age of nineteen out here in Midland, Texas, uh, she came to me in tears saying, uh, "Terry, I've got to talk to you uh, before we get married." She was about to get married in about two or three weeks, and she said, uh, "There's some things about me that you don't know." And uh, when you find out, you may not want to marry me because they'll affect you for the rest of your life. 
she's just crying, just sobbing. I mean, just blue hoo. I mean, just sobbing. And uh, and I said, well, what is it? I thought maybe she was a bank robber, you know. And uh, and, and she said, uh, she said, well, number one, I can't have children. And she said, all I've ever wanted to be all my life is a mommy, but I can't. And uh, I know you want children. You love children. I see you talk to children, play with children, and you want a family, and you talk about a family. She said, it breaks my heart every time you do, because she said, I, I can't give you a family. And she said, if I can't be a mommy, you can't be a daddy, and that's going to affect you the rest of your life, and you may not want to marry me. And she's just sobbing. I mean, tears and snot, and you know, just... And she said, number two, I'll be an invalid in a wheelchair by the time I'm 30 years old. And she said, I know you're going to be a missionary and travel all over the world and tell people about Jesus. But she said, at 30, you're going to have an invalid wife you're going to have to take care of. And that's going to affect your life, and you may not want to marry me. And she just crying and crying. And it made me so mad, just made me so mad. And I said to her, Jackie, who said that to you? She said, what? I said, who said? She said, you all need to always find out who said. Now, I was mad. I wasn't mad at her. I was mad at whoever said it. I said, who had the audacity to tell you you couldn't have children and had the audacity to tell you you'd be an invalid in a wheelchair by the time you're 30? She said, well, the doctors, of course, have told me. And she said, my, my parents have told me. I mean, all my life since I was little, they, and my grandparents, even my pastor tells me, my church people. She said, everybody knows it but you. And I literally did like this. I went, thank God. And she said, thank God for what? And I said, thank God. I thought somebody with authority might have told you you couldn't have children and you'd be an invalid. She said, what are you talking about? And I said, Jackie, you understand, I, I appreciate doctors and nurses and medicine and hospitals. Thank God for them. I'm totally for them. I said, but they're not my source. And they're not going to tell me something contrary to what God told me. And I said, and I appreciate your mama and dad. Love them. Love your grandma. Love her. Love your pastor. Love your church people. Although shame on your pastor for telling you that. I said, but they're not my source either. They're not going to tell me something contrary to what's in here. And I said, I've got good news for you, girl. And she said, what? I said, God said you can have babies. And she said, he did? I said, he absolutely did. I said, God ordered children in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, he ordered Adam and Eve and said, multiply and be fruitful. I said, that's the first spoken words of God, the creator, to man, the creature. First time he spoke to them, multiply and be fruitful. I said, it's a command of God. I said, Deuteronomy 7, 13, and 14 says, He'll multiply the fruit of your womb, and there'll be neither male nor female barren among you. Psalms 113, verse 9 says, God will make the barren woman to keep house and make her joyful mother of children. Psalms 127, verse 3 said, Children are the heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb is His reward. And Psalms 128, verse 3 says, My wife's a fruitful vine by the sides of my house, my children is olive trees round about my table. You marry me, you'll have all the kids you want. Because God said it. And I said, and here's some healing scriptures because you'll never be an invalid, never be in a wheelchair. And she never was. We had four kids, eight grandkids. These guys wouldn't have been here. What if I'd have just said, oh, my God. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you can't have children. And I could have either said, 
I'm not going to marry you because I'm not putting up with that. Or like I said, I'll, I'll marry you and love you anyway. I mean, it's, it's okay. If you're an invalid, it's okay. If you're, you can't have children, it's, it's just me and you. God, God bless your heart. But see, heaven was listening. What are you going to say, son? Now, she's 19 years old. I didn't know, George, I didn't know I knew those scriptures on babies. I was a 19-year-old kid in West Texas. I'd never studied babies before in my life. I never said, I wonder what God said about babies and looked up scripture. I didn't know I knew those scriptures. But it squirted out, Nancy. Whenever the, see, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever you put in here, when a crisis comes, it squirts out. If you don't believe it, just listen to what comes out of your mouth next time you hit your thumb with a hammer. Whatever you put in there will squirt out. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I have such disrespect for people that cuss because I know what they put in their heart. It doesn't bother me just the words they said. The words they said tell me what they had in their heart, and that disgusts me. That makes me mad, especially if they use God's name in vain or say something vulgar or vile. I think you ignorant, can't even speak English, don't know how to, don't know how to contact heaven. And Christians even do it. Preachers do it. I think you poor, ignorant fool. You don't even know that heaven's watching your words to perform it. And yet the vile stuff that's coming out your mouth, they're not about to perform. Y'all get anything out of all this? What if I had agreed with her? Not just a couple of years before she died. Now, when she died, I don't know why she died. I'm, I've got some things to say to her when I get to heaven because there wasn't anything wrong with her. She just she just went to bed one night at home and woke up in heaven. And uh, she wasn't sick, had never been an invalid, never been in a wheelchair. And uh, <laughs> but she said to me a couple of years before she died, she said, Terry, she said, darling, She said, thank you. I said, thank you for what? She said, thank you for making me. All those years of God, you made me learn the word, confess the word, pray the word, act the word, do the word. And because of that, I've been all over the world. I've traveled all over the world. When doctors told me I couldn't even ride in a car or any other transportation because I was so bad off and I was going to be an invalid, and and here you've taking me all over the world. I, I get on my hands and knees and crawled in witch doctor's huts in Africa to minister. I, I've been everywhere, and, and i got four kids, and i got grandkids, and, and she said, thank you. Because she said, had you not done that, she said, then in my old age, I'd be sitting on a porch here in Oklahoma. I'd be sitting on a porch somewhere, and uh, she said, I'd just be old and maybe bitter that I never had children and that I was an invalid. And she said, because of the word of God, because of the word, because of you teaching me the word. She said, I was able to have those babies and travel the world and never been in a wheelchair, never been an invalid. You know. But see, it's heaven's waiting. Heaven's waiting. Now, the question is, what, what is heaven going to do for you this year, today? What's heaven going to do for you based on your words and actions? What are your words and actions going to cause heaven to move? It's up to you. 
Amen. When H first stood up today, he said, it's your choice. You choose. So your words and your actions dictate what heaven's going to do. Did you get something out of that? Well, stand up with me. It's 12 o'clock. Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word today. Father, we start this new year understanding that our words and our actions are important to heaven. That our mouth's not a garbage can for garbage to come out. That we don't talk sickness. We don't talk defeat. We don't talk poverty. We don't talk, I can't, I can't, I can't. We talk the Word of God, the things of God. We, in, we instill it and input it into our heart. We download it into our heart. And Jesus said, it will come out of our mouth. What you put in your heart, the abundance of the mouth, the, the abundance of the mouth. Excuse me, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And heaven is watching and waiting to see what our actions are and to see what our words are so they know what they're supposed to do. They know the word. And they're not going to violate the word. They're not going to move on the word when it's cross-grained or in disagreement with the word. But when we utter words and act actions that are in line with the word, heaven moves. And we thank you for that. We set our course this year for 2022. We draw some lines when we're sane and say, Father, I will not do this this year. When I'm talking about New Year's resolution, I'm talking about we're drawing some lines and saying, in the name of Jesus, we will not cross this line. We'll say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This Joshua set that course. He said, this is the way it's going to be. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, that's our commitment to you. And you keep watching us. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, just watching to show himself strong. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Watch us, Lord. Watch us this year. Listen to us this year. And then show yourself strong. You create the fruit of the lips. We're going to give you some fruit that you can create. We're not going to give you some garbage to create because you wouldn't create it. We're going to give you some fruit to create. You watch over your word to perform it. We're going to be speaking your word so you can. So you can. Faith without works is dead. So we're going to, we're going to give you some works. We're going to operate in faith. And move in faith. Thank you, Father. We give you the glory, the honor, the praise, the majesty, and dominion in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you're not born again, you're not saved, or if you're watching me online, either today in your living room or hotel room or hospital room or wherever you may be, or if you're listening to, to this in the future on a different platform, on CDs or MP3, whatever platform you might be listening to it on. If you're not saved, if you're not born again, if you don't know in your heart 
that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, then I want to give you an opportunity to fix that. Because we are going to die. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. Everybody's going to die. And once you die, you, you no longer have any choice about where you're going. Right now, you have a choice. But there are people today that have been in hell for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And they'll never, ever, ever get out. I think so often of the Caesar named Nero. Who told the apostle Paul not to preach the name of Jesus. And Paul said, I am. And he, and he cut Paul's head off. And history remembers Nero as the, as the mental, mental midget, mentally unstable leader that burned the city of Rome while he played his fiddle. But I remember him as the guy that killed the Apostle Paul. And he's in hell today, Father. Been there for 2,000 years. Slapping himself, saying, Dummy, you killed the Apostle Paul. Dummy, you killed the Apostle Paul. Dummy, you killed the Apostle Paul. He'll do that for eternity. He'll do that for eternity. Once we leave this planet, then because of our acceptance of you and confession of you or not, that will dictate whether we go to hell or whether we go to heaven. You need to know what's going to happen to you when you die. I've had people say to me, Brother Terry, I know what happened to me. I'd go to hell because things aren't right with me and God. Things are not right in my heart. And I'd go to hell if I died today. Well, you, you don't have to. You can fix that. You can fix that. So I want to ask you to pray with me, and we'll fix it right now. Those of you that are home, those of you that are watching online, listening by another platform, I want you to pray this prayer out loud. And I'm going to ask everybody in the house to pray it out loud, loud enough for your own ears to hear it. That way we'll just lead everybody else to Jesus and lead them all in a, in a, into heaven here on the first Sunday of the year. So just say this with me, whether you're in the house or, or somewhere else. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you today to accept Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord. You said in your word, if I would call on the name of the Lord, I'd be saved. You said if I believe in my heart that Jesus is the Son of God, and if I say with my mouth, that Jesus is Lord, I'll be saved. So I say it today. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Savior. I believe He's the Son of God. He was born of a virgin, lived on this earth as a man, died on the cross for me, took my sins, and the third day He rose again. And he's alive today. And I'll live with him forever. Wash me in your blood. Cleanse me. Forgive my sins. Make me a new creature. Thank you, Lord. I'm born again. I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I'll live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.
Praise the Lord. Now listen to me. If you prayed that with me the first time, if you're here in the house or if you're if you're watching or listening some other way, then don't keep this to yourself. Tell it's important that you tell someone. Whoever's with you, tell them. Or go. Or if, you know, if you're here, come tell us. Uh, write the church if you're watching. Write Faithway Church. Tell Pastor Kelvin. I prayed with Terry Miles on the first Sunday of the year, and I gave my heart to details. It's important you tell somebody because that's one important aspect of faith. If you go read that famous, famous story in the in the Bible where Jesus healed, we all know the story where Jesus healed the little woman that was that had the that was all bowed over, or excuse me, that, that had the issue of blood for 12 years. She was bleeding to death. And the Bible says that she, she came and, and touched his garment and she was healed. The, the, the faith steps she took are the same laws of faith that everybody has to take. Number one, you have to hear it. The Bible says when she heard of Jesus. See, we've heard it today, right? It said, then, then she said it. She said, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be made whole. Thirdly, she did it. She went out and found Jesus and reached out and touched his clothes. Fourthly, she received it. She felt in her body she is healed of that plague, and the fountain of her blood was straightway dried up. This is all in Mark chapter 5. And then lastly, number five, she told him. She told him all the truth. She fell down before him and gave him her testimony. So it's important that you hear it, you've heard it, that you, that you say it, that you do it, that you receive it, and it's important that you tell it. Those are the laws of faith that work for you every time. Amen? So tell somebody that you got saved. Tell somebody that you got healed. And uh, that's how faith works for you. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. We love you. Uh, remember, there's products back there. They'll bless you. They'll help you. We brought them for you, not for me. Uh, there's no theory back there. There's nothing I think might work. I know all that stuff works. and has worked around the world. And then we'd ask you to pray for Renee and I. You know, we've uh, as we travel all over the world, everywhere, I want. we just covet your prayers. If it, God wakes you up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, it may be noon where we're at, and we may be in trouble. So just uh, help yourself and pray for us. So we love you. God bless you. H, I turn this over to you. All right? I'll take my letter and see what it says. All right, well, in this atmosphere of, uh, of worship, um, Let's um, uh, consider uh, giving to the vision that you heard today. Um, uh, Terry goes all around the world and, and shares this uh, gospel and, uh, you know, saves the lost. Um, if you're interested in partnering up with that, by all means, I'm sure there's some partner materials at the table. But uh, definitely, if you're interested in, in, in giving to uh, 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 Terry's uh, ministry or to the church, um, you can. There's uh, envelopes available if you want to give uh, the old-fashioned way, or if you're all newfangled, uh, you can just uh, uh, take advantage of the online giving that's there. Um, what I would tell you is, um, for many, many years, what I've seen is the word works. You know, the word works. Um, and so, uh, remember that you have a, a covenant of uh, finances. God has already said he's, he would bless you. It's basically your option. You know, choose this day. You know, if you want to serve the man or serve God, it's up to you. Um, but what I'll tell you is that if you start the journey um, 
and you give it, you know, the, you've heard pastors say it before, you know, give God a year. This is a great time if you haven't, or if you've kind of walked away a little bit, use this time to, uh, you know, to say, you know what, I'm going to give God one full year. We'll, uh, we'll catch up in uh, December, uh, next New Year's uh, service, and uh, give God the opportunity to show himself strong to you. So that said, um, I think everybody's already finished. So uh, if you don't mind, uh, everybody's still standing. So let's just go ahead and pray uh, for the offering. Let's pray for the service. And-